All right. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Austin Smelly, your host of Beyond the Well. Episode 10. Got plenty of requests from you guys to get this wonderful gentleman on. Definitely someone who's been influential on me and my work in getting this podcast started in the first place. Mr. Jack Donovan. I'm sure plenty of you know him again. Plenty of requests, but I'd rather have him do the talking. How you doing, Jack? How are you? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Appreciate you coming on. I understand of all people, busy guy speaking in Poland, all kinds of stuff that you've got going on. For um, anybody that doesn't know, which there might be like four people who don't know who you are, um, for anybody that doesn't know, can you give us a brief rundown of who you are, what you do? I'm just some guy who writes books and stuff. Uh, no, uh, I, yeah, I wrote a book called The Way of Men, and that's uh, been really popular all around the world. It's been translated into a bunch of languages, and uh, I kind of set out a foundational idea of what masculinity is that I think is correct, uh, even t uh, 10 years later almost. And uh, I basically write, write books that help men make their lives better. And that's what I've always done, really, as, as a professional writer. And so now, uh, in terms of what this podcast is about, uh, a few years ago, I purchased some land uh, that I call uh, Voldgang. And we use it uh, for conducting rituals for men it's a basically a germanic pagan space and we kind of have turned it into it's evolved a lot since i bought it but we've approached it from a very standpoint of a kind of an experimental ritual space uh so that's that's we have events out there and that's what i've been doing in that realm absolutely i'd love to get to know a little bit more about the ritual space and everything obviously owning your own property in a place like are you based out of like um i know like the pacific northwest and everything there are some pretty fantastic spots up there to own some property but to get onto the germanic paganism thing because there has been a massive rise in germanic paganism amongst a lot of like masculine centric groups like men who are searching for a way to become more masculine to become more masculine around other men who also want to become more masculine so what is your take on germanic paganism why did you decide to go down that particular path or what led you there well, I, I listened to a couple of your other podcasts, and, and uh, I I actually have a background. I, w I was always uh, an atheist. I was raised Catholic, uh, but uh, from an early age, I was uh, uh, Jesus is boring. That's basically how I look at religion. I'm not angry about it. I just am bored by Christianity, and uh, so um, you know, I was always more of an atheist. And then uh, I did actually join and became a priest in the Church of Satan. Uh, for a while, and that was my background uh, for well, as I started as a writer. And actually, I'm still in contact with a couple of those people. After that, I, I ended up leaving that because I think, and I think this is the, the pathway with many people that they get into something like Satanism because they're angry about something in the world, or because they're reacting to something in the world because it's a very reactionary thing, and then they realize that they need a more positive direction. And uh, I started writing about masculinity and honor, and and uh, I, I'm a good guy. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, as much as I can be portrayed as being an evil villain, and I kind of look like one, uh, I'm a I'm a pretty nice guy, Twirls and mustache. I try to be pretty try to be pretty decent to the people around me. So uh, you know, a lot of the ideas in that maybe weren't working for me, and so I moved away from that as as uh, in in a classy as a way as I could, and. I kind of knew that I would always going to end up in the Germanic pagan realm. That was something I was drawn to aesthetically. And uh, as I wrote more and more about masculinity, obviously 
those values are represented in, in those traditions and celebrated instead of being uh, denigrated as the way they are in uh, modern society. Oh, absolutely. I thought it was interesting that you labeled um, a lot of like left-hand path and especially like Levian types of uh, Satanism. That's where I came from, too. That's what my start was. And I can definitely agree with you on a lot of these communities being like Jesus is boring. That was a pretty funny way of putting that. But they kind of perpetuate this idea. They are very motivated by anger, very motivated by there, it's just this reactionary type of belief system. Would you agree with that? Is that one of the reasons why it pushed you away is because of how reactionary it can be at times? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, yeah, like I said, I don't want to come from an angry place and more and more and more that's that's become my message is to, uh, there's a time to be angry about things, but I think if you're ruled by anger, uh, it's a very low vibration way to live. And uh, I, I definitely... Uh, didn't want to be reactionary. I, I, I don't like people who are always against something. Uh, I'd rather be uh, see them before something. And that's why my slogan for, for years has actually been start the world uh, from the, the, this uh, original quote that uh, uh, the guy who was an easy writer, I always forget his name, but uh, he made and uh, it, it was, uh, I don't, I don't want to, let's not talk about stopping something. Let's talk about starting something. And I really liked that at the time. And, and I've kind of latched onto that and made it my own. Well, how do you stop something without starting something? You know, like we're, we're always stopping something and starting something else by doing. Doing is always better than not doing. So you mentioned, yeah, yeah start start the world. I had seen that, and that was always kind of a question that I had. You know, I'm, I'm familiar with the work, and I've read your work. And I was like, oh, yeah, where did that where did that really come from? When you say start the world, how do you see yourself doing that? How are you starting your own world? Well, I mean, uh, the Volgang project was definitely that. I mean, I, I, I've created this own little, uh, my own little place. Uh, in a, in a way, I mean, it's, I'm doing what every twelve year old wanted to do, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy land and then I'm gonna make forts on it and I'm gonna have my <laughs> friends over. Uh, you know, it, it's in that sense. But then, and also as an artist, uh, I'm creating something that I think is visually compelling, and that's very important to me as well. Uh, so I'm starting my own world in that way, and I think obviously what I've done with uh, I've been pretty influential in in the world of men generally. I think I've influenced a lot of men's lives and changed their lives, and I'm pretty proud of that. And I think uh, you know I I haven't start I haven't changed the entire universe. I don't know whether that's in my pay grade or not, but uh, I I definitely have made a lot of li men's lives better, and uh, that's I think. Uh, something like i said i'm proud of and that i started i mean that's that's the, i'm i'm about creation the creation that's what art is all about absolutely one of the things that i saw with uh vault gang was that you, you have this property but it's not just your property either you know you own the land and you do you do your thing and you build forts and all that fun stuff hope none of them are made out of cardboard or anything yet but you have people send from all over the world like mjolnir necklaces or pins or patches or something like that to place on this property what was the purpose behind doing something like that in like an esoteric sort of way well uh, when i was it started vault gang I mean, it's, it's been a very uh, from the ground up project you know there aren't really sacred spaces uh for germanic pagans and and in the world and there aren't very many anyway that are still being used and I looked at all the traditions around the world, and, and I walked through some Catholic gardens. Uh, you know, I've meditated with some Buddhist monks and so forth. And I, I, I'm like, how do you, 
how do you know that a space is sacred when you come into it? And I think that that's a really interesting problem to, to solve uh, from a you know creative level. And um, so we just everything I'm doing is doing kind of based on theory and putting it into practice. And so one of the ideas is, you know, you see these shrines around the world from other religions and people will leave things there for the gods. They'll leave something there that means something to them. They'll be, you know, it'd be a little prayer or a little uh, a trinket or something that they'll leave there and it's become a tradition. And you'll see these places that are just covered with little paper things in Japan or, or whatever. And, and uh, I thought to myself, well, as far as you know, heathens or Germanic pagans and so forth, all of them have Mjolders, right? I mean, that's that's the first thing you buy uh, when you're like, I think I'm a Germanic pagan, and then you buy a Mjolder, and then you put it on, and maybe down the road you have like five or ten of them, or you don't wear them anymore or whatever, and you move past that. But uh, I think they all have one, and uh, and I thought I I bet they all have an extra one, you know, and I think it would be cool to have them send in one. And kind of add something to the space um, from a magical sense. Well, yeah. So you know, we have it's called the Donar's Oak, and so we have people send us Mjolnir's from all around the world. We have one from Andorra. I had to look that up on a map to where that one even was. Uh, You know, we have uh, all over Europe, all over the United States, Canada, UK, so forth. Uh, We probably have at least, I would say, at least a hundred of them on there. uh, From and that's that's pretty cool because I don't think anyone's done anything like that yet. You know, it's uh, so it's that that spot carries a lot of meaning now, and that's one of the principles that I wanted to to talk about when I when I uh, designed World Gang is how do you layer in meaning, because that's that's part of the thing when you go to these sacred spaces, they're layered with meaning, and you you know that everything there means something that it was intentional, and so that's that's something that it, it was important to me about creating that, and so that's just one aspect that we've done. And another thing that we did recently at the last event, uh, there's uh, archaeological uh, sites where they have stone ships, you know, over in Scandinavia, and and I thought, and they're pretty simple, and we have tons of rocks out there. It's kind of high desert, and uh, I'm like, well, let's have all the guys build a stone ship. And uh, so that was a, that was something that that exists down there. There's, sto- there's a stone ship out there that all these guys uh, worked and put together in like 15 minutes because I had 20 guys. I thought it would take an hour, and uh, they picked up all the stones and carried them over and built this thing. And uh, so now we have that. So we just have this accumulation of of things that men have worked on together. That kind of involves this group synchronicity, the same way someone sending a Mjolnir necklace from Andorra. I have no clue what that is either. But right. yeah, the same way someone can send something like that, it's just sort of this group synchronicity. We're all working on this together. Is that in part what makes a space sacred? Is it the layering? Do they all come together and do something in a certain way? Yeah, I mean, uh, all of the above, really. I mean, uh, it, 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 you know, magic is really about intent, and uh, you know, put it, people putting intent into something and uh, really thinking about it while they're doing it, and. And and the other yeah, the group aspect of it I think is really important as well. It's also a great icebreaker. It's a great you know men do what men always do, and if you give them a big project, you know you'll get a bunch of them kind of trying to carry carry the heaviest rock, so that you know like who's who's good in the heaviest what, and then they all try to make a show of it, and you don't even have to say it; they just do it. It's it's amazing. Uh, it's just how men are, and you know you just have things like that, and that that contributes to the creating a. a strong space i think to have those kind of activities going on 
Yeah, of course, with your work and a lot of the, like, with Germanic paganism as well, there's a heavy emphasis on tribe, and absolutely that's one of the things that you're you're known for. I mean, when it comes to whether it be building a mock-up ship or creating some work of art together, is tribe necessary for your spiritual growth personally? Um, well, the thing about tribe for me is I'm a public figure, and so it becomes very sticky. Uh, in terms of uh, if you have a tribe, the thing is if I have people who are attached to me by name in a group that's flying a flag of some kind, uh, I'm responsible for everything that all, any of them do because I'm the one whose my face is on it. You know, so they have to. I, I end up you end up having to control people and what they do because uh, the first guy who does something stupid who I may might be I might have been totally against it but the first guy who does something stupid I'm the one who has to go on CNN and unfortunately that's the reality that we live in uh, you know th- these ages and so I'd much rather have a the way I have things set up uh, personally is that men come to me to have a certain kind of experience and I try to provide that experience and it is important to do something with other men i think that uh it brings that it changes men they have to be in groups of men at some point uh spiritually speaking i think that that their development is stunted if they don't interact with other men if you're just sitting alone in your apartment thinking how awesome you are you're not awesome you know it's it's it's, it's, uh you you need to have that feedback from other groups of men and and have other men there who'd inspire you i mean i had a bunch of guys there at this last one who were special forces and so forth and uh you know they, that's that's a pretty high bar uh, to be around guys of accomplishment. I mean, I've, I have doctors, I have lawyers, I have uh, you know guys who are just coming out for one time to see what this is all about. And you know, I don't I don't know all of their little beliefs or all their their every, everything that they care about in their lives or so forth. I'm not in charge of them in any way. Um, and their influence by bringing their energy into a group, they're making everyone better because they're at the top of their game and that's that's what I want in my life. Yeah, the way that you kind of you phrased it was almost like being the CEO of a company or something of that nature. It's like it doesn't matter who below you did what, you're the one who has to answer for it, especially being a public figure and being the head or the tribe leader of any kind. So the push kind of what you're doing now is just having a group of men with a lack of a hierarchy. Is that really primarily the difference is a lack yeah, of a hierarchy? I mean, I mean, we all know what the hierarchy is cuz I own the damn lands. Uh, it's, you know, it's my land. We're going to do what I want to do. It's, it's going to be about my expression of what I'm writing about. And I have someone who I collaborate with. I tried to get him on the show, but he works, uh, during the day, uh, Clinton McMillan. And, uh, he, he's a brilliant guy. I call him a savant because I don't even know how he knows the stuff that he knows, <laughs> but, uh, he, uh, he and I work and collaborate and pick the direction for where we're going to go and agree on things. And he has such a historical background that he can add to it, uh, that he kind of is my technical advisor on a lot of things. And, and so we balance like each ideas off each other. So it's, there's a collaborative thing going on there, but at the end of the day, it's, it's my land and I'm going to do what I want. And, uh, I think in terms of tribe, I'm, I'm still totally pro tribe. I, I think groups of men should have groups that they get together. And I just think that in this day and age, when you give something a name, you want to go out and fly your flag, then you're, you're going to get the problems that come with that. And if you, when I talked to Edward Dorson about tribe, 
Uh, we sat and had lunch in Austin, and I, I, that guy's great. Uh, I hope everybody respects him and likes his work because he's the OG guy when it comes to runes in America. And, uh, you know, I talked to, to him, and he was talking about tribe, and he, his point that he kept making is that the tribe should make everyone's life in the tribe better. And that's, I think, if you create an adversarial situation for yourself where, you know, we're in this tribe and we're against everybody else, then then you're going to have the problems that come with that. I'd rather I'd rather have the your doctors and lawyers who are just friends of mine, but we have a tight network. You know, we have a tight network and I can depend on them and so forth. And that's the kind of thing that I want in my life. And I think that other groups, if they form separate tribes and so forth, that it makes more sense for them all to keep it on the down low, really. And, and uh, no one needs to know about their business, really. It doesn't need to be a public thing. You know, if you if you have ten or you know fifteen guys who are really devoted to your project, you know, keep it private so that you can all have jobs and make money and survive and be successful in the world. Yeah, absolutely. We see, especially being in like a social media type of age, everything is broadcasted everywhere. We've seen yeah. that in all kinds of whether it be political or non political movements, people getting lambasted in the media for all kinds of sort and thing, all kinds of things, judging from things they yeah. did so many years ago or whatever is the case is that privacy a reactionary thing like are you doing that to be is it a beneficial thing to be more private to be more inclusive like the tribe works within itself it kind of comes across as this um a sort like us versus them sort of mentality is that a necessary component for a tribe yeah i mean i would say not us versus them because i get it i think that that's very reactionary uh i mean that that's what it would come down to at the end of the day if you have the people that you care about and the people that you don't it's us versus them, right? But I, I don't think it has to be. I think if that's the animating presence of it, I think that that's that's very negative, and it'll attract the wrong kind of people. I think that uh, people want to be attracted to positive qualities in their friends, people who are going to lift them up, and I think that that's that's where you really that's where you really want to be. Uh, you know, not not us versus them. I do think, but but you have to determine who you care about and who you don't. And, I, and there's there are people in the world who talk in ridiculous language and I, I think i don't think half of them even believe it but people talk you know in terms of universality and and uh, that they love everyone and that's bullshit because if you love everyone you love no one choose who you actually care about and uh, you know that those are going to be people, people that matter to you and don't apologize for that when it comes down to keeping a tribe together or keeping a group of men working together, collaborating on something, you know, as someone who has experienced before, whether it be with the Church of Satan, which I found to be very interesting, is that's where a lot of people start off and get their uh, start. I actually just recently met Nicholas Shrek in person, which was pretty interesting, getting okay. to uh, speak to him in person. I mean, I've never met him. I've, I've, met, I met, I've hung out with Peter and, and uh, you know, the, that whole scene. I was, I was actually, I did some TV work for them back in the day. Uh, so that was, my, that was my start in this whole world. No, TV work meaning what? That's very interesting. I was I was a, I was an agent before I was a reverend. Oh. So I actually did uh, I did a TV show in Canada where I represent I, I I was like the representative of the Church of Satan for a minute, or one of them. I wasn't the only one, but I, I did some TV for them, and and that's kind of where I learned how to. That, that was my first real PR experience in in real life. I mean, I worked for a PR firm actually, but the, my real life PR experience for doing you know being in you know out in front of a controversy organization controversial organization uh that was how i got started in that game and that was a very long time ago <laughs> fortunately fortunately long enough that most of it's not uh, on uh, you know available anymore <laughs> yeah well <laughs> i was just starting i was just a kid i didn't know what i was doing 
that's what I'm doing now. That's what I am now. So I guess yeah. you're a little little luckier in that it all kind of just faded away. But that's actually interesting that you say that because I didn't know that about your background. I didn't know you had a bit of a, a almost a journalistic background, you know, being a PR representative. And they're sort of related in a lot of ways. And one of the things that typically with journalism now is that a lot of voices that stand out amongst the herd end up becoming writers or end up becoming like small business owners in the future. You seem to kind of fit that mold a little bit. Yeah, I mean, just to, just to clarify, I, I was worked at a very low level for a PR company, which is you know basically you send out press releases and stuff. But uh, you know that was the, the Church of Satan was the first group I ever did that for, and now obviously I've been doing that for myself for many years, being a you know a public figure and representing and dealing with the dealing with the media, which uh, you know and journalism and so forth. But uh, I think I think uh, one of the things that I've done well in that way is becoming self sponsored. You know, it's in, in making some smart business decisions with how I promote my work and so forth. I think uh, I've done pretty well with that because that's that's where a lot of think people get get tied up. Because if you're going to say controversial things, then it's hard to keep sponsors. Yeah, I was actually just having a conversation with someone right before this about that same topic. Is when it comes down to sort of like the format of this is uh, like our tagline no philosophy too obscure that's that's very important there is we're willing to go where perhaps some other people might not be willing to we have to be able to we i have to have that standard for everything he's either everything's okay or nothing is and i would much rather have a platform than none at all you know that's 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 very american way to look at it good luck with that (laughs) (laughs) i feel that way too i mean that's the world i was raised in and and honestly you want to you want to talk about someone who was the the uh poster child of that I just literally had a phone conversation uh, this morning with Jim Goad, and uh, we haven't talked for a while. But uh, he, he's a uh, he's a guy who's been involved in con- controversy since the '90s, and uh, been through lawsuits and all kinds of things. He was putting out zines and saying politically incorrect things. And the funny, and the thing is, the guy has never really taken a real political position. He's he's the guy who can see the hypocrisy in everything. He's you know is gifted or cursed with that. And, uh, you know, that's, I, I have a little bit of that in me as well. Uh, you know, I, I, I tend to see hypocrisy everywhere. And, uh, you know, as, as, as I get older, I just kind of, I step away from it. He's, he's the guy who has to be like, does anyone else see this? You know, but, uh, so he's gotten in a lot of trouble. But. Well, you mentioned a little while ago, like you meditated with Buddhist monks and everything. Funny enough, I've been doing the same thing with a monastery out here and definitely your perspectives as an American, like that whole all or all or nothing type mentality is very much centric to our part of the world. You kind of start realizing that like all these different perspectives that combat that the organic part of buying land and building something on it. Like that's something that's a little more universal, but the mentality that we tackle it with or that I'm kind of approaching my work and like you said yourself, the way that you approach your work, it's very interesting. It's We have to be this uh, this bolsterous, I am this type way of living. I, I find that a little ironic almost. It is. It, 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 we're, we're American. I mean, that's that's how, that's how Americans are. It's, it's a, it is a thing. Yep, absolutely there. So this is actually something a little derivative, but um, I don't believe I've ever heard you mention it. You probably have. I had a conversation with someone, and I was talking a little bit about your work and the things that you do, and what they asked me in response, and I had an answer I could have given, but I would have rather had, like, hear your response to it. We were speaking about masculinity and femininity, and I had had a conversation with someone prior about it as well, and their their question to me was, well, why can't a woman be masculine, and why can't a man be feminine? What's innately wrong with that? 
I mean, that's that's like, well, why can't a horse be a duck? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, like that. What, what? What? I mean, that's just nonsense talk. That's that's woman talk. That's that's, that's crazy talk. That that's that doesn't make any sense. It's just uh, sophistry. Uh, it, it, like, why can't why 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 can't uh, you know a dresser be a be a, an aquarium? You know, it's it's men are men, women are women. We actually don't have any idea. And I'm going to make this point actually in a speech that I'm going to give soon, because people miss this. Is that as a man. I have absolutely no idea what it means to be a woman. I, can, I have a caricature in my mind of what it means to be a woman, but I will never have that experience. Uh, I, I cannot have that experience because it's not an experience that you have for one day. It's an entire life experience. It's, it's, I, you know, and the same thing is true of men. Women don't have any idea what it means to be a man at all. I mean, they, they can kind of read between the lines and see get a vague picture of what it means. But, you know, and that's the problem that people have with this, you know, multiple genders issue and so forth is that, you know, it's just a feeling that you have about what their experience might be like. I know what it means to be a male my entire life. And, uh, you know, I've had to deal with all the things that come with that, Uh, you know, and not just big things, but little things. I mean, like, you know, kids playing on the playground and how male, male children interact with other male children and little hierarchies that they form and all that kind of stuff and where you feel excluded and why you feel excluded, you know, and how men judge each other and how they judge each other differently for women. And you have to process all of that information and also the process, the the physical reality of having uh, generally greater strength and, uh, you know, having a whole different hormonal profile that that definitely changes the way you process information. If you watch people who are, you know, take you taking more or less testosterone or, you know, and I've seen that, uh, FTMs have figured this out. Like if they, you get FTMs, they start taking testosterone and all of a sudden they have really high sex drive and really low bullshit tolerance. And, and, uh, and I've seen them write about it and it's, it's, there, there are chemical differences between men and women. There are things that are different and that, that affects our entire life experience. So, you know, the idea, how can a woman, women are women, you know, they, they, they obviously women can become more masculine. A lot of them, unfortunately that that's, uh, I've seen that happen a lot. And, and that unfortunately is also very American in many ways is that, uh, you know, we get a lot of women who are kind of pushed into a role where they feel like they have to become men to be worth anything. And that's become a negative effect of feminism really is that, uh, to be good, women think that they have to be like men and, uh, that's a mistake. And I think that that that's why they want to be, uh, you know, cause historically, you know, I mean, men hold up male values and, uh, women think that they have to ape male values to be good at being women, which, the shitty thing is, it's like you're only ever going to be a shitty man because you're not going to be a man. You know, like you can be, you can, you can act like a man, you can try the best you want to, but you're still never going to be a man. So why don't you just be a woman instead? That's definitely a perspective, too, that I can already hear like some sort of some buzz around. And one of my questions to that would be like in response to um, how men are and how women are. One of the big like voices of opposition now is that a lot of these things are societally societally based, and there's really no like how can you say they're biological when a lot of this stuff like gender roles and stuff like that are are put on this pedestal. They're strictly societal things rather than biological things. The people who came up with that theory are transsexuals. 
basically <laughs> honestly that it gets repeated by regular people because they don't know who came up with it but uh, uh, there's a guy who wrote a book called uh, masculinities uh, and that's one of the big books in that area obviously feminists were really big about that in the 70s and so forth but uh, and the guy the guy who came up with the masculinities book like there isn't just one way to be a man there's masculinities well he became a woman uh, so that's what his masculinities was uh, and I, I think that if you have a perspective coming from someone who's that damaged uh, that they feel like they have to, they, they can never be happy until they become the thing that they're not. I think that that's, uh, that's not really where you're going to take your good advice from. But, uh, but as far as, you know, like, yeah, I mean, there are obviously socially, and that's what I, that's what I wrote about in the way of men was uh, everyone has always said that you know, there, there's been, a, well, a very modern idea that uh, masculinity and femininity are entirely culturally created. And that's that's a that's an idiotic idea that came up was was invented in a university with people who have no life experience, and uh, that's it's ridiculous. Uh, and obviously, there's actually tons of evidence that show that men and women are actually different, and uh, you know, but there, there's a thing that happened I think in the last century where people decided that uh, you know if something is if you can't prove something scientifically yet, then it isn't automatically isn't true. You know, and that's that's the wrong way to look at it because, uh, you know, just because you haven't figured out a way to measure something, you know, then it's then it's not true. Then, like, it, it, there's no reality to it because you you don't have the technology to measure it yet. Uh, and that's 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 really how they looked at gender for a while. They couldn't prove it, and then they also had a lot of people with agendas jumping into it, like uh, Margaret Mead, uh, who was an anthropologist who went over to I think Samoa. And studied that culture, but then it came out later that she actually didn't. She wasn't allowed to hang out with the men at all, and uh, you know, and wrote a bunch of bullshit. And then, but feminists quoted it for years, and still probably do. And uh, so, there's just a lot of agendas with that 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 perspective. Uh, there are obviously socially constructed roles for men. Uh, the roles change. What what we wear changes in a different society. You know, if you wear a different outfit, even to a different city in America, you can stand out if you're not wearing the right thing, or you're, you know, and you as a man, you'll be perceived differently. Obviously, all that stuff changes, but there is an underlying uh, idea of masculinity that has always been there. And uh, you know, if you would say that it comes from modern movies, you're an idiot. It comes from the Iliad, and it comes from like the oldest books that have ever been written. Uh, the idea that men should be strong, that they should be courageous, uh, that they should be, uh, you know, bound to like some honor honor group, uh, that uh, you know, that they should be competent and that they they should, you know be held to a different standard than women. I mean, those ideas are true in every society ever. Uh, they're not they're not just they're not something that changes you know from one society to another. That the root of what masculinity is is consistent. Well, I think we even see that in that every society of hundreds of them, pagan societies had a god of thunder, a god of war, and a lot of them were personified the same way. Hammer-wielding, ripped out of their minds, tough, brave, courageous, having a lot of these same values, like the, the noble values that, you were, that you've written about before. Just to get a kind of a quick rundown, establish a baseline, what are those noble values? Like what describes masculinity to you? Well, they're noble because noble would imply morality. But uh, the, uh, the I said the tactical virtues, tactical. and that they're basically survival v- virtues. That and and the way I came up with those is you know if humans have survived in small bands for most of their history, and 
throughout that history, what did you, if you're in a survival band, if you have a small group of people around a fire and there are bears and there are other groups out there, what do you need from the men? And, you know, historically it make, makes sense. You're going to, they need to know how to do that role. They need to have the capability to, to defend that territory and, and to uh, hunt the animals that you need. And this is how men ju- have always judged each other. And that's why we've always needed to be part of a male group because that's, that's what we do. That's what we've always done. And we feel, uh, men feel uh, a little insecure and a little uh, uncomfortable when they're not attached to or have some validation of other men coming back to them because that's part of our evolutionary makeup. And, you know, it's, you know, I'm sure there's some feminists who will say, well, they haven't found a gene for that, but that doesn't mean it's not real. You know, like it's, uh, you know, you, like I said, if just because you can't measure something doesn't mean it's not true. It just means you haven't figured out how to measure it yet. Well, it even kind of is a little reminiscent. I believe it was Thomas Jefferson who kind of interpreted the uh, Constitution this way. It's like, well, if it doesn't say this, then this is permissible. Like, it's kind of that, that same, we don't have all the evidence, we can't be go making assumptions and jump to conclusions like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I think just to kind of round it all out and just kind of end this thing out, one of the, the questions that I have, of course, being a younger man, being someone who's putting himself together and is still trying to navigate his way through this world, is someone who's a little more older, a little more experienced, been around the block, Church of Satan, all the way to owning your own property, which props on, by the way. Um, do you have any advice for any younger men in modernity who are trying to navigate their way through life, trying to preserve their masculine values? How would they go about doing that? Well, you'd have to determine what those values are first. I mean, I think that that's, uh, but as far as living a masculine life, uh, I think that that's the advice I always give to everybody is that, uh, male spaces are absolutely crucial for creating that. And that uh, you have to take time. You know, people have girlfriends and people have want to have families, and that's great. And uh, people think I don't encourage that, and that's not true. It's just uh, I mean, it's because I don't have one doesn't mean I don't encourage it. But uh, you know, for the right guys at the right time, when you, you're responsible, I think a lot of guys. I've seen a lot of guys go jump into that too early. I think usually by the time men are around thirty, they're probably ready for that. But uh, a lot of times they'll jump in a little early. And they don't have a lot to offer women yet, and then they uh, they they lose the women, and then they're lost. And uh, masculinity can only come from men, and it only can only come from you as a man. Uh, women can't give you that, and I think that that's something that they 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 misunderstand, and they have to keep in mind. But uh, you'll also be a better man for your family and for your woman, and so forth, if. You, you have a strong group of men around you uh, that, to make you a better man. And so I think uh, the advice I'd give to a younger men is that uh, your friendships with other men are important and don't let them fall by the wayside for other things. And your friendships and also just your interaction with other men, I mean, be have the time to, to go to the gym or go to the uh, do some martial arts and so forth and get that feedback uh, so that you're not just uh, you know free-floating – you know, man in the world without any kind of feedback from other men, because it, uh, you won't be as good as you could be. Definitely second you on the martial arts thing too. There's nothing quite, uh, like getting smashed by someone twice, uh, well, three times smaller than you. It humbles you and gives you a new perspective for sure. And oh just yeah. That, yeah, 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 yeah. 
<laughs> that community aspect and being able to work with other men and whoever might be there and just, just building a community. That seems to be a big focus of yours is having a community of men to grow within, to grow together, because it's really hard to quantify if you're growing or not, if you're pissed off in your basement. Yeah. 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 I mean, no, you're not growing, growing at all. Probably, you know, I, you're just being absurd. Usually that's it. I have, I have really no patience for those people anymore. Base, basement, superior basement dwellers are the worst. <laughs> yeah. I would have to agree on it. agree with you there. I'm more attracted to the people who are putting themselves out there saying controversial things, taking risks, which is one of the reasons why you stuck out and why you are so sought after doing public speaking and all those sorts of things. So because of that, I definitely want to thank you once again for coming on and having this great discussion with me. I'm definitely excited to see the kind of feedback and stuff that we get from that. Where can our audience find you on social media or where they can find your work? Well, I, I, uh, I'm a big Instagram guy because I like images. I am basically an artist who writes. Uh, so uh, Instagram is at start the world. And I'm actually trying to transition that right now. Uh, I'm using Instagram to promote it, but uh, I'm, I, th I think I'm going to bring blogging back for 2020. Uh, I think I'm going to run, run my Instagram, run my site more like an Instagram uh, so that everything I do isn't tied to that network. Uh, and I have my own platform because I've, I've had a website for you know 15 years. Uh, I might as well uh, use that. And I think that we, we rely a little bit too much on social media for, for you know, and that's a platform that can go away or disappear or, or any time. We don't have any control of it. So it's a bad, you don't want to put all your eggs in that basket. Yeah. So, so my website is jack-jonathan.com and um, it's currently a little under construction, but it's getting there. Fantastic. So is ours. We're actually under construction too at the moment. Have never owned a website before, but I'm going to go ahead and give blogging a shot. We got this 2020. So for awesome. now, you can find us as well on Beyond the Well Podcast on Instagram or on Spotify, working on getting it up on Apple, Google Podcasts, wherever else you can find it. Again, thank you so much for coming on, Jack. It's a great time. Thank you. No problem. Thank you.